0: Hello and welcome to Behind the Sounds. I'm here today with the legend that is Barry Dean. Hello how are you? Hi.
1: How are you? Good to see you.
0: <laughs> good thank you. I saw you wince when I said legend but you are a legend. <laughs> I um, understand it. <laughs> but yeah how are things?
2: They're good. The things are very good. We have good weather and sunshine so we can get outside. That helps. <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely. So cooped up. Um, have you been writing a lot and working kind of through it all? It?
2: I, we have been, I've been writing, but not as heavily as normally. You know, normally we're in most days writing and, and having fun. But in this case, um, two things, I had started a little company with my brother that helps uh, with wheelchairs and making them smarter and safer. And so I had already planned on taking, you know, kind of slowing down through the spring Uh, didn't know what we were in for and so I'm writing uh, once or twice a week you know uh, and uh, I think uh, Monday last Monday I wrote with the Brothers Osborne and this Friday uh, tomorrow I write with Tamil Towns and Laurie McKenna so so I get I get to write with such great people it's it's kind of like Christmas when I do it
0: yeah amazing and you you've had so many hits over the years which we will dive into a little bit more and um, but i just i read something and i i just want to know if it's true and i want to know how it happened but when okay. you started songwriting is it true you went on a, a songwriter's cruise that your wife that's true you? that's yeah. true how did that yeah. come about i've never he- i've heard of them i've <laughs> never spoken to anyone that's been on one
2: well the nashville songwriters association which i didn't know about really at that point when this all happened um i was living in a little town in kansas Uh, called pittsburgh kansas and i had a job uh, working at an education curriculum company and we were considering you know should i switch jobs or go to this other company and and jennifer my wife you know uh, she said you know what's your passion and i laughed and uh she was like why are you laughing i said well that's not how we're going to make this decision we just (laughs) need to make smart choices here she kept pushing me finally I admitted that when I was young I'd wanted to be a songwriter and um so she went and found this this uh, Nashville Songwriters Association and I think they did two of them maybe three total ever and um they did this cruise I think this was the second one and um and so they had a little faculty was like Angela Cassett who's amazing and and Ralph Murphy God rest his soul and James Dean Hicks and Craig Wiseman, and um, Hugh Prestwood, amazing Hugh Prestwood. And so there was a, a, a great little group of writers, Steve Seskin. And um, so she came, she didn't tell me though, she just came to me and said, will you take me on a cruise for our anniversary? And I said, yes. And then she said, this is the one. And she had found this cruise. And so we went and I sat in the back of the room Uh, and everybody else was really confident and playing their songs and and I was just taking notes and learning and listening, you know, and uh, so I don't think they've, they may have done one the next year, but after that, I don't think they did any more. and uh, so I feel really lucky that, that I got to do that.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and did you move to Nashville after that? You kind of thought, right, did it, you know,
2: it it was a long time, it was a couple years later because we did the cruise, and at the end of the cruise, a couple of the pros asked to hear a couple of songs, you know, and so I played a song and they, um, and they said, you should come next month. We're doing a thing in Nashville. So I did that and we started making these trips and we did that for a couple of years. And then, uh, then I got signed to BMG um, and I still stayed in Kansas and kept making trips. Um, which at that time was pretty weird. I mean, there were a few people like Steve Seskin and Hugh Prestwood and and Lori McKenna that did that, but but you know, very few people did that. A couple people came from LA. It was just it was a much more uh Nashville centric town yeah. and uh, than it is now. And um so so then I I got a cut after I'd been signed about 6 months or a year. Um, with Martina and Reba also cut a different song and so then the decision was do we move to Nashville or not and that's when we did it so it was probably a good four years or something like that after the cruise that we moved through for.
0: Yeah and not many people can say that their first cuts were Martina McBride and Reba (laughs) McIntyre. What was that like? Because that was at kind of the, the very peak of, of both of their careers as well.
2: That's right. That's what that right.
0: Like getting them cuts.
2: Well, the the Reba one um was a song uh that that uh, was really sad, it has no chorus, um, the structure is crazy. It was really just I, I didn't think anyone would ever hear it. I wrote it personally for mm-hmm. me. And um then this new publisher i had heard it on accident it was an accident and went wait what's that and he took it and played it for her and then she was like i'm cutting it and i couldn't believe it because it broke all the rules mm-hmm. of what i was you know the the rules you know that you follow the rules and uh, it was crazy it had three first verses a bridge and the last verse and uh, it was the craziest song in the world but but it it worked that opened the door for me to write because of that song that opened the door for me to write with Tom Douglas, who was, you know, one of the great, he's hall of fame songwriter. And, and, um, and so then we wrote God's will and then uh, Martina cut it. And that was a huge deal. I mean, for me, I was still living in Kansas and she's on the CMAs singing this song. And uh, that was a real, like, that was a moment for, for the, for me and Jen and our family was just like, this is pretty crazy right we might be able to get to to try to do something like this so it seems very uh crazy to think you could get to do it
0: yeah you know? so. um, the, from then on it just kind of skyrocketed for you i mean there is there isn't many artists in nashville you haven't written for <laughs> um yeah. is there any kind of songs i will talk about more so from like pontoon onwards but in them years you wrote songs with Carrie Underwood and Alison Krauss and Sarah Evans you you had hit a lot of kind of hits over the years did it just feel like I'm on a roll or was it oh still a slug
2: <laughs> tr- truthfully it felt pretty terrifying you know when we moved yeah. to Nashville I, everybody was so great you know such great songwriters and musicians and I, I really felt you know not quite as qualified, and, and when I first came to town before any of that had happened, you know, I was kind of weird, you know, I was from out of town, I was older, I was a piano player, so I, you know, three strikes already, <laughs> and so, uh, so, but then after that, then I got, I, you know, I had met some great friends, and they were riding with me, and, and we were becoming, you know, sort of, because you kind of do that, you kind of find your people among these, this tribe, and, mm-hmm. and, um, and so, that that was that process the first uh i would say three years we were here i probably wrote too much you know i did uh, at least two a days five or six days a week i mean i really kind of panicked if you want to know the truth there's so much to learn there's so many people to write with there's so much to do and um i probably took that too far but somewhere maybe three four years in uh somewhere right in there um we had a carry Underwood uh cut and um and, and that helped a lot. And then, um, and then we had these other songs that were kind of strange, you know, like the Alison Crow song happened and, and, um, I had a weird, like a meatloaf cut, you know, and, uh, just like strange, but I was just, somehow I was, you know, thankfully was able to stay in and mm-hmm. publishers and pluggers would keep supporting me and writers would keep writing with me. And then finally we kind of hit a groove and and we we had pontoon and and some other songs and so then then it felt like okay now i know what i'm supposed to do (laughs) but but the first few years it really i mean and i've i've seen a lot of other writers come and deal with that since and Mm -hmm. i think that first couple of years is kind of hard you know you try to encourage them not to Wear themselves out so they're burnt out or they don't like co-writing or you know you, you go easy, write by yourself because uh, I, I wrote by myself and I wrote a very small number of songs per year as compared to you know other writers you know, and um, all of a sudden I'm writing you know hundreds of times a year mm-hmm. and that and I you know that, that's that was too big of a shock to my system but then once I I started sort of changing how I wrote and learning, and kind of figuring out, you know, what you're really doing, I think, is learning to trust your own voice a little
1: bit yeah.
2: inside of you. I mean, I, I was really afraid to sing or play or even throw ideas in a co-writing room because I hadn't done a lot of it. Yeah. And so I would write at the top of my notepad, make a noise, you know, because I'd realize I'd been sitting there trying to make sure I had the right answer before I spoke. And it was it was a couple of years before I really started to go. Oh, I should just, uh, I should just say what I'm thinking, and and mm-hmm. and trust that those other collaborators they're going to do the same thing, and we're going to be on each other's side. Yeah, you know, it's not a competition; it's a collaboration.
0: Yeah, and you you talk about your tribe and the people around you, and then obviously you mentioned Pontoon. So you wrote that song with uh Luke Laird and Natalie Henby who yeah. you've worked with a lot over the years. So I'm assuming a kind of part of your tribe. Um, a huge song. It was it was Little Big Town's first number one, a massive hit, Grammy winning. Can you just dive into the story of that song? Because am I right in saying there's something to do with the Miranda Lambert hit?
2: <laughs> That's uh yeah that that is is right. Yeah. Um so So I had written with Luke and Luke and I were good friends. Then Luke introduced me to Natalie Hemby because they had started writing and, and we quickly became, you know, inseparable, you know, as a little group, you know? Mm. And um, so I think pontoon was the first song the three of us ever wrote together. We had been around each other a few times but we hadn't written a song together. Um, She had switched publishers, but was still talking to her old publisher and you know, it's a, you know, it's any relationship, it's business, there's good days and bad days. Well, this was one of those bad days. So Luke and I were sitting in this room over at Universal, room eight, and she came in and she was kind of not pleased. And she said, uh, uh, I just talked to this person, you know, and, and you know, she had had a song called, uh, what was her song called? Uh, I'm trying to remember the Miranda song.
0: A uh, fine tune
2: fine tune. fine tune. she wrote it with luke Mm -hmm. and it compares the the you know the dating or love making to sorry about the noise there uh to uh to going to an auto garage so uh she uh she goes yeah they congratulated us on our cut but they called it pontoon (laughs) and uh and she was a little put out um and so then you know luke and i are like you know, we kind of see this redneck angels. You know, and we're like, oh. <laughs> and um and I think she and there's no question she saw it too, but she was making a different point. And so she's like, "We're not no." And so Luke starts playing the groove, and and uh, so we she, you know, she, he can talk her into stuff. So he'd be like, "Come on, girl, tell me what you come on." And I'm just like playing some mini moog, wanting to be Prince base to that, and um somewhere in there, she she goes with the back this. Hitch up into the water mm-hmm. and the astro I, th- I think i threw the astroturf and we're all laughing we write a little of that verse and we write just a teeny bit of the chorus and then and then we decide we'll do lunch
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh laurie mckenna tells the story because she was in room seven
1: that day mm-hmm.
2: and we're really good friends so she's in there and that day she wrote with a a little group that's not around anymore and she says it was one of the worst writes she's ever had they the band members were fighting with each other and yelling at okay. each other. And so she said the worst part of it was me knocking on the door, coming in going, Hey, you you want us to get you any lunch? We're going to get some lunch. You want me to bring you some lunch? And she was like, I hear you laughing next door. Oh my gosh. You won't believe this song that we're writing. It's hilarious. And she's having this horrible day and I'm like, Oh, we're having a great time. Let me get you some lunch. So, uh, We tell the story, I've heard the story told by Luke and by me and by Natalie, and it's been told so many ways, and now I don't even know which way is accurate, but I believe that what happened was we had that much, and we stopped for the day, and that about seven months later, um, it was Luke's birthday, and so Natalie and I got him a funny gift to give him. And so when she came over to surprise Luke with the birthday gift at his writing room, I brought this back up and Luke was in on it. And we got Natalie to sit down and finish the song and sing the vocal, which is critical because Natalie's such an amazing uh, singer and interpreter of songs. And and she was like a hundred months pregnant with Sammy, her daughter. Uh, So I think she had Sammy the next week maybe or two weeks later. But we, we recorded that little song. And uh, and then you know, and then nothing happened with it for a long time. I don't know if you have heard that, but um, they sent it to. I think they sent it to Dirk Bentley. I don't know that for sure. And I think he did not like that. And they sent it to Kix Brooks, and he sent a lovely email about how funny it was, but he would never record it. And then uh, and then it sort of went into the song protection program. Like it just mm-hmm. dropped into the bucket. And then it was probably two or three years, I'm gonna say two, but it may have been more, that it was just sitting there. And then um, when Luke and Beth started Creative Nation and I, I was one of the I mean, I one of the first writers there, your founding writer, um, Beth in the first meeting for the new company, the first song she played was that song. And it was to the manager of Little Big Town. And that's what started it finding its place, which was amazing. And, and you know, Jay Joyce made it so cool. And Jay and Jed Hughes, the brilliant Jed Hughes, they made that little riff, the, that little thing. That's yeah. them, you know. And um, so, and, and Luke Laird played electric guitar on the session. So he's on the actual single.
0: Oh, there you go. I did not know that fact.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: That's so, so. a cool story. And it was... I mean obviously little big town were well known at the time but it really did skyrocket then to just another level um, yeah. but what I want to know who who came up with motor boating
2: <laughs> oh yeah yeah well there's been some debate there's been some debate normally when Natalie or Luke are talking they'll say I did to embarrass me um, but uh, I really don't remember but I cannot imagine it was me I would have to think that sounds that sounds so much like Luke and Natalie Hemby, and it could be either one. Um, I just know we were trying to, you know, to find humor and find something that would rhyme. And the other thing that's funny about that song now is, um, you know, the line before that is "out here in the open motorboat," and uh, but what happens is most, like a lot of times when we would play the Bluebird back when we used to do shows and fundraisers, people sing "Ocean." Yeah. And so if you sing open, the ocean people all stop and they don't get to have the motorboat in fun because they're going, you messed it up. And so we have taken, at least Luke and I, to backing out of the mic and not even saying that word because it throws off both sides of the audience, right? Yeah. If you open, then the ocean people are confused. If you ocean, the open people <laughs> wonder. What doing. And so it's one of those cases where the song ends up being, it's a little big town song now and it's their listener gets to own it. and. Uh, you know, and they and Little Big Town they're phenomenal of course and they're amazing people. Um but it is interesting because they had been around about twelve years mm. uh, I believe. And you know, it's hard to believe that they hadn't had more number ones, but like Boondocks didn't quite get there, and Little White Church didn't quite get there. And those songs are huge, but they just didn't do it. So so to be a part of their first number one, and it was my first number one. Yeah. And it was Luke Laird's 10th number
0: one, Wow! Yeah.
2: Uh, so pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. And a, a bit of a full circle moment. I want to mention when Little Big Town got inducted to the Opry and um, Reba came on singing that yeah. song, was that That's for right. you quite cool? Because obviously she, you go from her being one of your first cuts and then her singing yeah. your first number one, however many years later, was that quite a cool moment to, to witness?
2: It's funny. You should, I mean, no one has ever brought that up. But yes, my yeah. wife and I were watching that and were really moved. It was really emotional. And, uh, and I was backstage when they were inducted into the Grand Ole Opry. And, mm-hmm. and it was just, uh, it was overwhelming, you know, because you think, wow, that's amazing that I'm even here. I mean, I was in my, I moved to Nashville, I was 38. That's a, that's pretty late to get started in a career like this. And, for the writers and the town to let me in and then to have Reba. And, you know, Reba, Reba is class. I mean, she is, uh, there's, I don't think you can find anybody in this town that doesn't uh, adore her and respect her. And, you know, I wouldn't want to meet them if they didn't feel that way. (laughs) And <laughs> so, so I mean, she really, and so that was just a really cool thing. And those, I gotta say, the Little Big Towners, they're cut from the same cloth, they're so great. And uh, I shouldn't probably tell this, but it's true. Uh, when I see Jimmy from Little Big Town especially, I say it to the others too, but when, especially when I see Jimmy, we always give each other a hug. I don't know what we'll do after this COVID thing, <laughs> but if we still hug, uh, but I always hug, and when we hug, I always whisper in his ear, thank you for my career. and uh, he always laughs and punches me and um but it's true I mean you know you have a number one song it opens other doors for you and other opportunities and so yeah I'll always have a real soft spot for you know Reba and Martina and then for Little Big Town with the first number one
0: yeah and and it did like you it did kind of things from there just went crazy, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so so many hits, you know, Jason Aldean, Blake Shelton, all these kind of hits that just popped up all over the place. Um, wow. But then a few years later, you, you had probably another one of the biggest hits of your career with Tim McGraw, um, Diamond Rings and Old Barstools, which oh, was Grammy nominated um, for you guys, obviously pontoon one for little big town but this one was was actually the songwriter's nomination so again can you give me a bit of backstory on that song because it's it's one of my personal tim mcgraw favorites um but what was that like
2: thank you um i wrote it with john singleton jonathan is amazing you know and has an incredible voice and um and then um and luke laird of course and um you know that was a day where we had worked on something else uh, most of the day, and it was maybe around three o'clock. Um, and and we kind of had realized that what we were trying to do, we, we had set out to write a tempo song for Rascal Flatts. That was the goal. Mm-hmm. And, and somewhere around three o'clock we realized the thing we were writing was, uh, it was a tempo, but it was not of the quality that was gonna work for <laughs> Rascal Flatts and we weren't really sure about it but we had a little time and and we love being together and we like we love writing songs so um uh, we started talking about country songs and and we talked a little bit about nouns um you know and how there's a you know country songs a lot of times the title will be a you know a, an actual thing yeah and then um we also started talking about you know country and western the idea of the way country used to sound
1: mm.
2: less pop more more western and um Luke started playing that riff that's in the song. And um, I think he threw out diamond rings and, uh, and I don't know if he or, J- or uh, John Singleton said barstools, stools and off we went. And I, that song was written probably in 30 or 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, at the end of a day of working on something and not being able to make that happen.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and then, you know, we were happy, but, there weren't a lot of places to go we didn't think we thought you know George Strait was probably the only shot um either Luke or I one of us had a session the next day Singleton was out of town so we decided to to put it on the session so we could hear John Singleton sing, sing it because we knew it'd be amazing just to hear him sing that song you know and um so we demoed it and uh John sang it and then they sent it to George Strait's people and uh, and it kind of made its way through the process in fact there was even oh it's down in in the studio and and he may cut it you know and and so we kind of crossed our fingers but then he didn't he didn't cut it and and we really thought at that time where's it gonna go you know because if you look back at when diamond rings happened it, it was still pretty fully popped you know there wasn't as much you know john party and, and morgan and uh there's been people who've opened that lane back up you know Mm -hmm. and uh, but at the time it wasn't really as open and so we kind of thought that's the end of that game and then I I I don't remember exactly but I think that um Beth Laird and Jeff Skaggs in our office pitched that for McGraw I'm not 100% certain but I think that's right and uh we couldn't believe it and uh then, then McGraw put it out and uh it was a big deal. You know, and McGraw, you know, he's known for his song selection. I mean, if you think about his career, it's very, it's its a pretty amazing catalog of, of songs and songwriters that, that have written those. And so we were thrilled. And and then Luke and I got to go to the Grammys, which was a blast because we have fun together. And, and we were there, you know, Lori McKenna, that's the year she won her first Grammy. We We knew that she was going to win that thing uh and we were happy we could be there to to hug her and cheer her on we all sat together
0: yeah because i she's creative nation too isn't she so i was gonna ask that like i mean obviously it's a little bit bittersweet because you didn't win but i imagine seeing someone who you've worked with and and who you're so close to winning is kind of just as good
2: oh yeah you know everybody wants to win one of those things but i mean Lori's Lori's like a, a sister to me and um so we just adore her and Jean and the kids and and um and in fact, the morning of that uh, uh my wife had helped me, and i I had gotten a print of a a picture of a Clarence Clemens, the big man with Bruce Springsteen, and they're holding hands and spinning around on stage and he's wearing a shiny red suit. Clarence is, and boss looks like the boss and um so I got that picture, and I wrote on the glass um, an arrow to Clarence Clemens that said, "This is me." And an arrow to the Bruce Springsteen and said, "This is you. You have no idea how much fun it is to be next to you." Oh! And um, and so we we were we were thrilled. And um, you know, again, and now Luke's won uh, a couple of Grammys, two or three, I'm not sure. And Lori has certainly won, uh, I'll say a a baker's dozen of them, but not really. But I'll just make her feel bad, but she'll give me a hard time. But I haven't won one, so. So, maybe someday I'll do that, but it, it it really was just a joy to be a part of it
0: yeah and and it's such an incredible song to to have on that on that list and it was a tough year. there were some amazing songs that year
2: it's always it's always that way, <laughs> yeah. and you know they they always say you know it's not an, an honor to be nominated, and that is true. I'm not saying people aren't competitive in Nashville because we all are, but there is a certain gratitude. That you get to be a part of it and that you know how is that even possible that we get to do that you know i mean to write songs and go be a part of that and you know and have jen there my wife and, and go have fun with my best friend luke and you know i mean it's yeah. pretty great you know <laughs>
0: It's awesome and um, and you just mentioned this guy but this is someone i really want to talk about and um, john party who I yeah know- worked with i i have a, a picture and an image in my head of just how cool he is um in person mm-hmm. <laughs> and what he's like to work with um you you had the title track of his his album um heartache medication yeah. again number one natalie hemby again <laughs> um all these yeah. things coming into play and you well, as my
2: it. secret weapon yeah <laughs> natalie hemby and luke laird and Laurie Young. i try to yeah. it's always the same secret weapon right but you <laughs> can say the
0: same about you <laughs> <laughs> So what what firstly what's he like as a person to write with because he'd had an incredible few years when when that song came out and that song just took over and, and was amazing and as you said was kind of old school country um
2: yeah twin fiddles
0: yeah yeah so what was he like and what was that song like to write
2: well i had written with uh luke laird and him on the the uh, re- record before we had a song called paycheck mm-hmm. and um and so I can only compare that and Heartache Medication. Those are the only two songs I had written with him to that point. And I've written with him since. But but I would say, first of all, he is exactly who, he, who you think he is. Yeah. I mean, he's not pretending. He's not acting. He's not, you know what I mean? He's just really who he is. He's a hardworking dude. He's a lot of fun. Um, he's a straight shooter. And and he lives and dies this stuff he he loves country music and man he is so it's fun to be around him because he knows exactly who he is and he knows what he's trying to do and he knows what he wants to do and he's having a really good time doing that and um so it's really uh, an amazing experience he's also a guy who will stand up in the writing room and you know he's thinking of his fans he's thinking of him you know how, what am i here for uh, I, you know that's a that's a pretty interesting thing about him is he respects and understands his fans, yeah so much and um and his sort of meter for what's real and what's not and what passes muster if you will mm-hmm. is really uh finely tuned you know he knows his people and um but writing with him both those times those particular times, was uh a riot you laugh the whole time Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and um and it's uh fast he's very he's a brilliant writer very fast and he and like on heartache medication he'll break a structure he'll put the title halfway through the chorus Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know because that's where he wants it you know so like i think in heartache medication the title's in line three and line seven or something it's like no one would do it that way except john party and he and he makes it work and of course, I love his voice. I love, you know, I love that whole record. You know, Ryan Gore uh, worked with, with John and Bart, I think, on that record, this newest record. And I will say that about John Pardee. I find myself, just as a fan of music, putting on his album. You know, you think there's some artists that you you put the album on because it, it creates an energy and a mood and it, and it feels great, even when you know it's sad, it feels great. When it's happy, it feels great. Yeah. And he makes those kinds of complete albums. Uh, and that's one thing I love about him. And I think his fans do too. So
0: yeah, yeah. he's great. And he puts on such a show. And I love that you, you say that that's where he goes to in the studio because you watch videos of him live and it's just a ball. Everyone's having such fun. So it's really interesting that you say that he brings that into the studio with him.
2: Oh, absolutely. Well, the day we wrote Heartache Medication, Natalie, I guess it's okay tell us, um, Natalie, she's in the High Women. And so they were just getting started. They were just starting, they were recording, they were starting to do these things. So they'd had some big event the night before. So she was um, slightly um, she, she hungover. She was slightly hungover. Yeah. And, um, and so she's already like, you know, sunglasses on and yoga pants and, <laughs> and, um, and so, and then and so she's sitting crisscross applesauce on the floor over here. He's standing here with his guitar, just rocking, and I'm just trying to type and record and throw things. And there, you know, the song happened again very quickly. That that heartache medication song was written so fast.
1: Yeah,
2: and that's just that's just who he is. And I think he left, drove to his property, and I think he had just gotten a bulldozer, and so he was going to work, go out and work on the land that afternoon. Yeah, you know, and and that's exactly, you know, you, when you see that stuff what he does, where he's like, you can come out and drive on this, or you can mm-hmm. come out and we're gonna drive jeeps. That's who he is. That is exactly who he is. So, I kind of love that about him, you know The purity of it.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly how I I pitch him. And as as you were just saying, he's exactly how you think he's gonna be. So that's really really awesome. Um, and then someone else who I know you've worked quite a lot. Um, I know you mentioned how you're going to write with her this week. Um, Taneel Towns, so you had a big yeah. part of her um, album. She has just won the ACM, the New Artist of the Year, today, which is amazing, so well-deserved. Um, I know you've written quite a few songs with her and obviously continue to do it. Again, can you tell me a little bit about that relationship there and, and how these songs and that relationship's come about?
2: Well, when she first came to town... Um very quickly she was signed at Sony. I think very quickly they saw her as this fresh, um, unique voice um, uh, for for our, our format. And um, so then we were summoned to their headquarters at RCA, Sony, uh, to, to meet her and listen to her. And um, so we went up, it was just a little conference room, and she played a few songs and just uh, leveled us. I think it was me and Natalie and Luke. It may have been one other. It may have been like Steve Moakler or someone else. But it was, you know, you're just stunned. Yeah. And and she was, you know, I don't know how I honestly got in the room. I think uh, she was really a big fan of Lori McKenna's. And I had helped with producing the Lorraine album for Lori and writing a lot of that. And so, anyway, I got to meet her. And then Luke and I wrote with her. And I think we only wrote twice. For the record, but that song um you know she she came in and she had been driving around Nashville with her mother and seen someone and already had a lot of those thoughts you know uh, that are in the verse of course and and um and then we really just ran alongside her and started you know trying to to be helpful and useful and and um and you know sometimes. As a collaborator sometimes part of your job is to, to just let people know that what they're doing is is wonderful because i think sometimes you know someone as creative as Tanil, she'll do something new or break a rule or or it'll be a little slightly to the side and so there's a, a little voice that goes oh that's that doesn't sound like what i'm used to hearing on the radio maybe i'm wrong
1: yeah
2: And so i think sometimes luke laird and i in those situations with an artist will find ourselves really encouraging them and going no this is what you're doing uh is you it's so unique it's so specific and it's so magical uh we don't want to be the people that dim the uniqueness of the arts we want to elevate it i want to set that diamond in something so everybody can see it right Mm -hmm. and um and i do remember us talking about the lemonade stand you know i i was uh really moved by that line and sometimes Tennille says I wrote that line I thought she wrote that line but I will tell you uh, as far as I'm concerned it's all her and um, but to me that was such a uh, it was a physical moment but it was a moment that broke your heart a little bit you know because you could see the humanity inside that situation and I think that's true of all her songs you think of Jersey on the Wall yeah. she gets you in next to and in that experience at a very human level you can almost sort of feel the skin of people in her songs and so yeah. um so she's really an amazing writer i just i just we just wrote uh, a couple weeks ago and um and i just and i, I saw you know this we saw that she had just won this uh great award and and deserved it so we just texted her uh, before i talked to you and and uh, and all that, sent over some stuff. So just to say, way to go, because it's, um, you know, she, she won uh, the CCMA Songwriter yeah. of the Year Award. I got to, sh- we, you know, we got to share in that, uh, Luke and I, because of her uh, in Canada yeah. last year. And this year, I think she's nominated seven times in that area. And so I've been teasing her that they're going to start calling that award the Tamil. <laughs> and uh, so... But she'll not like that joke. But uh, I've been teasing her. You know, the other thing I would say just about that song, it was written as a ballad.
1: Really? When we
2: first wrote it, it was very slow. And then she and her producer, Jay Joyce, they reshaped that and gave it that drive. And I think I think that's such a genius move because it, it let everybody inside the story. I think some people tune out a, if it's too slow or, or whatever they to kind of tune it out, but mm-hmm. because it had the groove and the sonics, um, I think it was able to penetrate hearts uh, more, you know, and I, I'm, I know Luke feels the same way. We we feel really grateful that we're on it and, you know, we just, it's rare you have an artist like that that shows up first record, at least first on a major in, in,
1: mm-hmm. in
2: the U.S., um, kind of fully formed, yeah. you know. Uh, normally it takes a while to find mm-hmm. their way, you know. But she really just showed up, ready to rumble.
0: Yeah, and she's got one of them voices, hasn't she? You can just recognise it anywhere. So I can imagine yes. being in the studio and, and you kind of seeing it on paper and then hearing it come out of her voice must just feel kind of amazing because it's yeah it's such a, a unique, and incredible voice.
2: Yes, it, and it can become uh, this very soft. Uh, Tender thing, but it can also kind of be this angry rage that, I mean, it it has a scope to it that's not common, and I I would say this, you know, not meaning any disrespect, but I think if you look at the female country artists, there is, the the one thing they all have in common is there is a uniqueness to them. They are particular beings. It's not, it's not homogenous. It's not all the same. It's not, you're not going, which one is that? Yeah they're particular voices and you can identify them in seconds and they're very powerful and they're great writers. All of them are, I I can't, I'm trying, but I can't think of one that's not a great writer. I mean, it's, they yeah. write great songs. You think of Maren Morris, you think of Carrie and you think of Miranda and I mean, it just keeps going, right? You know, you're just like, wow. So,
0: Yeah. Amazing. And you, I mean, I could talk about songs that you've written for hours because there are so many I'd like to dive into, but I'm going to have to wrap things up a little bit now. Um, but I do have three questions that I ask everyone. Um, and okay. Three questions. Um, so my first question for you, um, it's a little bit off tangent, but can you name three songs that you, you wish you'd have written?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, boy, there's a, millions of them. Uh, I wish... Um, I'm just overwhelmed with, with songs right now in my head. Um, and I'm I'm sure some of these you've heard before. Um, there's a song called I Need You by Tony Lane uh, that uh, was recorded by Tim and Faith, by Faith Hill. Yeah. And uh, that song mm. levels me. I cannot process it. Mm. Um, and I'm trying to think of some, because I'm guessing most people say, I can't make you love me if you don't. House of Built Me, and I love all these songs. You know, The Song Remembers When. Those are all great choices. I'm just trying to spread the the, the wealth a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think I Need You, uh, Tony Lane wrote that, I think is a masterpiece. Um, I think, uh, I have to say, Lori McKenna, just about anything Lori has written, mm-hmm. but uh, I think Humble and Kind is a, uh, uh, just the, pr- the most beautiful prayer I ever heard, you yeah. know? And uh, and so, you know, I hate to say that cause she's gonna be, uh, get onto me for talking about it. But but I re- I remember hearing it the first time she'd flown into town and she was playing a little fundraiser gig and she kind of looked over and said, I'm gonna try this new song. And then she played that. And I remember thinking, she is working with a whole extra set of colors Mm-hmm. of crayons that we don't have and uh <laughs> so, or i don't and so i think that's pretty great and um let's see golly there's so many great songs um i i just off the top of my head i'm just going to pick whatever pops into my head here gosh three songs i wish we would read um I think what hurts the most just popped into my head. So I'm going to say that I I think uh, that song is pretty amazing. And, and, you know, Jeff Steele and um, pretty great. And oh, I just thought of I Know You Won't, Uh, Wendell Mobley and and Neil Thrasher and Steve McHugh, and that's an amazing song. Gosh, Luke Laird's Give Me back my hometown. So, yeah, there's there's several that I, but yeah, those are the songs that come to mind. Yeah, sorry.
0: Yeah. No, I mean,
2: I'm not good, I'm not good at that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, well, I'm going to keep with the threes, so it might be a bit of pressure. <laughs> um, okay. About three albums that you you couldn't live without as a fan.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Well, three albums. I could. Beatles. Um, which album? Hmm. Tough. Right. Um. Mm-hmm. My wife would say the White Album, my daughter, you know, I, I have a Beatles record. I would have to have a Beatles record. It would mm-hmm. probably be Revolver, Rubber Soul. And I'm pretty softy, so I might go Abbey Road.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but, yeah, I'd have to have a Beatles record. And um, I love this record that I don't think anybody else does, but it's Keith Richards' Talk is Cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, I'm not really a – I was not a Stones guy or any of that, but I heard this record and, and it, it really got under my skin. And so I, I pretty, I love that. I listened to it a lot. And then um, probably there would be something that was uh rock, you know, like a, uh, probably a police album, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> probably like synchronicity or uh ghost in the machine or, you know, probably something like that. But I, t- I you know, I, again, I'm not very good at this because my wife would tell you, one of the things that she's not a music person like that is the way i jump between formats and you know goggle earth wind and fire to sting to peter gabriel actually peter gabriel's uh so probably would be on that list now that i think about it so that's i think those would be the ones i would want to have around
0: yeah Yeah. i love that That, that's a good a good range and and then obviously you've you've worked with so many incredible Writers and artists, but can you name three people that you haven't yet worked with that are kind of on your bucket list to work with, whether they be writers or producers or artists?
2: Mm. I'd like to write with John Bellion. Uh, we met. We got our BMI Pop Awards uh, first. What Pop Awards the same year, mm-hmm. and so we met each other, but we've never written. And I think what he does is fascinating. You know, just the way he thinks and and uh, we have a mut- we had a mutual friend in Michael Busby and so i, I kind of would like to to do that um i would love um i have enjoyed writing um pop songs and so uh, so i i'm excited to try to write with some of the young talent that are over there and people that i haven't written with and and some I have, you know, like a Julia Michaels I've written with, but I'd love to, to write with her again, or Egg White in London. That guy is amazing. So yeah, I would like to do that. And then a third would be, um, you know who I've never, can't believe I'm saying this, but it's true. I've never written with Alan Shamblin. Alan wrote, I Can't Make You Love Me If You Don't, with Mike Reed. He wrote House That Built Me with Tom Douglas. He's written so many great songs. And he's one of my favorite writers. And I know him, and I've met him and we've, you know, we've even had uh, a dinner we were at together and sat next to each other. Yeah. But I was always hesitant to write with him because I just was so intimidated by his, uh, the way he thinks of lyric and how elegant you know, the work is. And so, uh, that, that's one, that's truly something on my list that I've made as we go back from this, uh, uh, shelter in place mm-hmm. to say, you know, I'd like to go ahead and write with him. Uh, because even if even if i'm the worst writer in the world i would learn something in that room yeah. and have a great experience with a great man so i think those are my tough. i have just made those three up i yeah. thought you were going to ask me what three artists were my favorite that i wrote with i thought oh well, this is going to be God, the you're
0: going to have to <laughs> answer that question huh?
2: <laughs> yeah oh yeah there yeah it's whoever's cutting next no no they I'll say this, you know, and maybe I've just been uh, protected, you know. Uh, but I, I really do believe I've gotten to work with wonderful. The artists I've worked with have been really wonderful folks, and mm-hmm. um, and it's never been, uh, you know, some sort of a problem or a horror story. You're, you're always struck by how graceful they are under a lot of pressure, and how, you know, you think of Thomas Rhett. What he is an amazing young man. And, uh, Brett Eldridge is the kindest guy, you know, he's just so nice. And, and, uh, yeah, all of them. I mean, I could go down the list. I mean, they've been, uh, uh, just gentlemen or, or wonderful ladies and, and brilliant people. And so I really haven't had any sort of experience like that, but that, that struck me how kind they were. Cause I thought, boy, there's probably some attitudes. No, not really. I mean, there's a much better chance that I've got a bad attitude than them.
0: that's fair enough (laughs) Um, well I'm going to leave you to play us a song um, but I want to end by saying thank you so so much Um, it's been absolute pleasure so many stories and as I said I could talk about more songs all day Um, but thank you so much and I will leave the floor to you
2: All right, I'll sing the Diamond Rings uh, song if we're still in tune here Uh, check it don't want to offend. Um, again, if if Jonathan Singleton were here, he can sing this so well. But we had worked all day on that other song, and then this happened, and it really was the most unexpected thing we ever had. Thanks for letting me be a part of this. I'm excited for you and for, for the, the whole podcast thing to happen. Thank you. Diamond rings and old bars stools. Once for queens and once for fools. Once the future and once the past. Once forever and one's one won't And it ain't like midnight cigarette smoke. It ain't like water down whiskey. Cold. Well, I guess some things just don't like your home, like me and you. Diamond rings and old bar stools, the wrongs and rights, and the highs and lows. Yeah, I love you, and I told you so. Last few miles, to wherever it's gone, another morning waking up alone. And it ain't like
1: midnight, cigarette smoke. It ain't
2: like water down, whiskey and cold. Well, I guess something's just stones like it, was. like me and you. Diamond rings and old bars.